Good morning. Whether you're here in the sanctuary or joining us over the live stream, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I especially want to welcome our visitors this morning. We're so glad you're here. If you're with us online, please say hello in the comments if you have the ability to do so, and let us know from where you're watching the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us in the comments if you're online or by turning to those around you if you're here in person. Good morning. My name is AJ Jaraska. I use they, she pronouns. Please join me in saying the words for lighting our chalice, which appear in your order of service or on the screen. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship this morning comes from Yvette Dion. Yvette Dion uses she/her pronouns and is known across the internet at, by the handle Free Black Girl. She is a journalist, pop culture critic, and magazine editor. She's the National Book Award-nominated and Coretta Scott King Honor author of Lifting As We Climb, Black Women's Battle for the Ballot Box, a middle-grade nonfiction book about black women suffragists. Joy is a revolutionary force. We need it as much as we need anger because it is joy that will help, us keep, up, that will help keep us in these bodies long enough to enact justice. This congregation has a mission. It is our common religious purpose. We use it for all of our decision-making. It guides all of our ministries and programs. We love it so much, we put it on our wall, and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. We access that place more deeply inside of us. That place of greater wisdom. That place that knows joy, love, Compassion. That place where a spark of the divine resides within each of us and dwelling within that spark of the divine, we enter into a moment of sacred silence together. Remembering that the sounds of small children and other human sounds are a part of that silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out, let us enter into that time of sacred silence together.
I now invite you to light candles of joy, sorrow, hope, remembrance, resistance, resilience.
Our reading today comes from Reverend Lynn Unger, who uses she, her pronouns, and is a Unitarian Universalist minister, poet, and dog trainer living in Vancouver, Canada. She looks a bit like Laura Linney with tawny beige skin and sandy brown hair. Breathe, said the wind. How can I breathe at a time like this when the air is full of smoke, of burning tires, burning lives? Just breathe, the wind, in, the wind insisted. Easy for you to say if the weight of injustice is not wrapped around your throat, cutting off all air. I need you to breathe. I need you to breathe. Don't tell me to be calm when there are so many reasons to be angry, so many uh, cause, so much cause for despair. I didn't say to be calm, said the wind. I said to breathe. We're going to need a lot of air to make this hurricane together. The Texas Senate just passed a bill that would authorize the construction of an anti-abortion monument on the grounds of the state capitol. They also passed a bill requiring every classroom in a public school to display a copy of the Christian Ten Commandments. Here and across the country, Various forms of don't-say-gay bills have been passed or proposed, limiting or outright banning the discussion of LGBTQ issues in public schools. Measures trampling upon trans rights, such as prohibiting access to life-affirming life, saving health care, and so many other punitive measures are being passed or considered, as are various ways of criminalizing drag performances, as is forbidding telling students the truth about the history of slavery, racism, and other forms of oppression in this country, along with measures banning books, eliminating tenure in higher education, turning our schools into militarized zones, targeting funding for public schools by shifting it to private often religiously indoctrinating private schools. It keeps going. Fees on environmentally friendly ways of producing energy, as well as such ways of consuming energy, such as an additional tax on owners of electric vehicles. Various ways of suppressing voter rights, particularly targeted towards BIPOC folks and young people. Other proposals would take away regulatory authority from municipalities, curtail workers' rights, ban diversity issues, punish businesses that assist their workers with obtaining abortions out of state, or that promote clean energy. Well, the list of legislative atrocities goes on and on and on. In April, we've been exploring the topic, the spiritual topic, of resistance. But with all these seemingly never-ending assaults upon our religious values and principles, though, it can sometimes feel like this. I have nothing to say to you. 
and I will resist you with my last ounce of strength. Strength is irrelevant. Resistance is futile. Now, I am not saying there is a Star Trek Borg-like crusade afoot that wants to force us all into a white supremacy culture, heterosis patriarchal, radical capitalistic, caste-structured, fundamentalist, Christian-centered, hive-mind way of being. Oh, <laughs> maybe I am. Anyway, anyway. Given this bombardment we're witnessing upon the very foundations of human dignity, the question becomes, how do we sustain resistance over the long term, find new and innovative ways to engage in such resistance? Well, fundamentally, we steadfastly refuse to accept the framing being foisted upon us. So, for instance, when LGBTQ plus folks, our loved ones and supporters, get accused of grooming children, we don't respond with, nuh-uh, we don't either. That centers the argument on the frame being imposed by those with whom we disagree. Instead, instead we reject the frame altogether, or maybe we turn it upside down by asking something like, well, who is it that's trying to indoctrinate our school children with a white supremacy culture, heterosis patriarchal, radical capitalistic, caste-centered, fundamentalist Christian-centered worldview? Who is it that would deny our children an understanding of the history of slavery, racism, and other forms of oppression in this country and the brave folks who have fought against them? Who would deny them knowing the metaphorical truths to be gleaned from all of the world's religions and the myriad beautiful forms of human flourishing? Just who is doing the grooming? Well, activists and movement leaders have identified several ways we can sustain our resistance while often at the same time flipping the frame like this. So, first, don't forget smaller acts of resistance. We often think of resistance as huge marches and the like, but speaking out through what we buy what we eat, where we show up or don't, for instance, can be powerful forms of resistance. Author and activist Adrian Marie Brown writes as follows. Small resistance historically has looked like a wrench in the gears, a slowing things down, a rancid ingredient in master's food, enslaved people teaching each other how to read and write. Small resistance these days looks like turning people who are supporting and promoting racist, transphobic, and inhumane policies away from your door. It looks like stopping next to police cars that have pulled people over and filming them until the person stopped is allowed to leave. The Dalai Lama simply says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, 
Try sleeping with a mosquito. (laughs) Number two, open ourselves to joy and pleasure and infuse them into our activism. In her book, Pleasure Activism, The The Politics of Feeling Good, Adrian Renee Brown writes, Feeling good is not frivolous. It is freedom. That pleasure is the way we know I belong. I'm safe. I have decolonized. I have returned to myself. Designer and author Ingrid Fattel Lee argues that autocrats throughout the world have attempted to stifle the sources of joy because it is a propulsive force. Joy is a sustaining source of energy for change. Shared joy creates unity. Pleasure reclaims our humanity. It disrupts biases that separate us. Joy is a form of care that allows us to move past trauma and reclaim our resilience and hope. Inviting one another to enter, rejoice, and come in can be a powerful source of resistance. Number 2A, remember that music is a powerful source of joy within our resistance. Music can both provide us with nourishment for our social justice struggles and, and a powerful voice for proclaiming them. In fact, the group Resistance Revival Chorus is one such powerful voice for justice. I want to let you hear them and their music just a bit. The chorus is a collective of women identifying and non-binary individuals. We come together primarily to sing songs that address human rights issues. We were born from a bunch of organizers who felt the need to infuse the movement with music to celebrate joy as an act of resistance. Singing. Chanting, drumming, protest songs, popular artists releasing songs of justice, these tap into the emotional and metaphorical parts of our consciousness, making them formidable ways to inspire action and bring about lasting change. To be. Humor is a wellspring of joy and a remarkably effective way to deliver our message. The United States Institute of Peace outlines several ways humor can radically benefit nonviolent social movements. A well-targeted joke can upend power dynamics. Each joke can become a tiny revolution. For instance, During the Arab Spring, as Mubarak in Egypt refused to announce his resignation, one protester took to social media saying, he's watching Egyptian state TV. He doesn't even know it's his last day in office. (laughs) That joke snowballed to other jokes on social media with a multitude of them portraying Mubarak as clueless, as someone to laugh at rather than fear. The Institute also notes that humor can be nearly impossible for regimes to stamp out. 
It serves as a healing sort of pressure relief valve for activists, and it can attract more people to a movement. Now, I found so many examples of movements utilizing humor that I can't possibly tell you about all of them. Have some fun and search it online sometime, though. A couple of favorites, the folks who decked themselves out as clowns to attend a Klan rally and informed the Klan's people that they were the ones who looked silly. And how could I leave out the raging grannies? Go grannies. <laughs> Number three, relearning to love our bodies and ourselves is a radical act of resistance. Performance and theater artist, poet and activist Tricia Hershey says, loving ourselves and each other deepens our disruption of the dominant systems. They want us unwell fearful, exhausted, and without deep self-love because you are easier to manipulate when you are distracted. So many of our systems of oppression exert power and control by separating us from our bodies, assaulting our bodily autonomy. I could go on, but I'd, I'd rather let you listen to poet and activist Sonia Renee Taylor, who says it so much more powerfully in her poem, Bodies of Resistance. It is Monday afternoon, and Roberta watches her sons spout laughter from their geyser throats, sun-choked and filled with joy when she brings them to the beach. All six members of her family are here, a sanctuary slightly out of reach, a raft against the constant lash of waves. But today, the undertow will be too savage for her to save them. Today, the ocean is a tyrant appointed to swallow them all until 80 complete strangers build their version of a wall in the Gulf of Mexico, singularly summoned to ferry Roberta's drowning family back to shore. Humans who instinctively know every wall needs at least one door. Today, 80 Samaritans became bodies of resistance. Today, 80 people rebelled against an apathetic ocean's insistence on a sacrifice. And this is life, y'all, and these bodies. Breathless and beleaguered, we coax one another to survive. We are alive despite even our bones' descent. The slack-jawed mutter that says these bodies were not meant for delight. Who are we to smile as the world spins in entropy, a hula hoop at our feet? What right have we to meet this day with anything but fear? We are safe right now, but out there. Wells the tiny bloom of child we hush 
from the inside, and I know he is, she is, they are, we are afraid, convinced we must beware and hide. But what are we if not survival personified? Because at this very shake of second, a queer kid stands unapologetically lucent in the lion's den of a middle school cafeteria. Just as a woman steals herself and takes a seat in the precinct, preparing to report the rape defiant against the red tape that would sooner indict the length of her skirt, only to acquit the menace of toxic masculinity. As a fabulously fat woman on a plane explains to the man who has spent the last 40 minutes shaming her body in a series of tweets that she has no intentions on vacating her seat of dignity to make room for his hate. At the exact second, a trans woman turns the doorknob on a woman's restroom as a politician attempts to legislate her into invisibility. A college student with cerebral palsy and 7,000 signatures petitions for accessibility in the office of a university dean. Some days, the invocation of simply being seen in the body we have today is the chant, is the march, is the picket sign. There is no time in all of history when we have not resisted, even as they attempted to gavel our silence. Nevertheless, we persisted, each of us, a link in the human chain. Your shame has not slain even the lowliest of beasts, but our collective transformation has toppled entire empires, delivered us intrepid to capital city streets, three million grand of sand forged under the heat of oppression until we were fine as keen-edged glass, a butress of bodies unafraid to ask why black lives should not matter as we saw no they in we. New solidarity was a word that must spring forever like water beside a standing rock. The clock of justice will not tarry while you question whether you are worthy of the fight. Despite all you've been told, resistance is is an everyday act, the work of excavating every tiny artifact of the oppressor that lives in you. Your call to be a balm to every self-inflicted wound is the way movements are birthed. In a land glad to wish us endless slumber, waking unrepentant in our skin is a hero's journey, and the only way we collectively prevail. And only then can we say in the words of the famous poet, Lucille Clifton, won't you celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill us and has failed and has failed and will fail. Renee Taylor also says that allowing ourselves to rest to slow down even within our struggle for justice lets us dream and develop vision. She writes, today more than ever, I know that we need quiet, rest, and sacred, unapologetic community to most powerfully manifest the full possibilities of living in radical self-love. And that brings us finally to number four. Connection and community are vital for successful social action. 
We are most powerful when we are resisting together. We cannot sustain ourselves for the long haul without community. Movement building means building power. Building power requires building beloved community. I'll close by mentioning that with so many threats to our fundamental values going on in our world, we can easily unconsciously slip into the survival part of our brain, our flight, fight, freeze, or fawn responses. Now, flight mode is when we kind of go, danger, danger, run away, run away. Fight mode is Danger, danger, I'll kill it. Flee mode is danger, danger. Maybe if I'm very, very quiet and very, very still, it won't notice me. And fawn is when we go danger, danger. Maybe if I'm very nice to it, it won't try to kill me. We have to resist staying in this mode, though, because because it automatically shuts down the creative and thinking parts of our brains. Our bodies produce lots of chemicals that can be useful in the moment of danger, but harmful if they continue unabated. We have to pull ourselves out of this mode if we are to not only survive longer term, but to flourish. And all that we have talked about today are practices that help us do that, have helped this church do exactly that. Poet Maya Angelou said, the question is not how to survive, but how to thrive with passion Compassion, humor, and style. (laughs) This religious community has answered that question even while facing so many challenges in the past few years. Out of loss and a pandemic, we have built a new way. We have resisted merely surviving and instead chosen thriving. And so we are growing in numbers and in spiritual maturity. In passion, compassion, humor, and style. (laughs) Small Simple acts, joy, music, humor, loving our bodies and ourselves, connection and community. These, these will continue to keep our faith alive, our resistance strong. Our spirits flourishing. Amen.
Please join me in saying the words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Get out there and resist. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.